Romans chapter 13, starting in verse 8 tonight. It says there, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now, again, this is tying back up into the verses previous in verse 6. For because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor is due. And so we live in this physical world, and this physical world that we live in, hang on one second, this chair is ready to go down. It's a good chair, John. I'm just trying to embarrass him. Anyway, <laughs> the world around us, they, again, are worried about what they're going to eat, what they're going to wear, how they're going to get ahead. But you see, we as believers know that God is going to add unto us all the things that he desires to add unto us. Whether that's new clothes, whether that's cars, whether that's a chair, whether that's more money, we trust that God has our economy in his hands. In the Proverbs, he says, don't make me too rich. Don't let me be too poor. And I believe that God has that economy where he has us. And so if God wants you to make $30,000 this year, <clears throat> then what he'll do is he'll give you money to pay your taxes above that 30000 and he'll give you money to tithe and money to give offerings. But if you made 30000 this year, it's not that God wants you to live on 30000 He first of all wants you to tithe. Above that, to make room for an offering, whether it's one penny or a few thousand dollars. That's between you and the Lord and, and the joy of your heart, whatever that does. But then also he's given you money to pay your taxes. And so God's given you all that extra money because he wants you to live on 20000 So that's the reason he gave you 30000 Now, if all you made was 30000 and God wants you to live on 30000 then he will bless you with money that comes out of heaven, and he will do it. I can, me and Cheryl could tell you stories after stories after stories of just ridiculous things that have happened. I, I, I remember years ago, we had a little tiny refrigerator, and, and we had our second kid, and it just wasn't working, and so we just started praying for a refrigerator. Didn't tell anybody. Out of the clear blue, a guy calls and says, man, I bought a new refrigerator. I need to get rid of this old one. I only had it for five years, but I didn't have an ice maker in it, and I, I wanted an ice maker. And and I didn't want to jump on it. I, I put it in the bulletin. I put it out to the home fellowships. Anybody need a refrigerator? And this went on for a couple of weeks. And, and, and finally, I got a call on a Saturday morning, rather frustrated, going, does anybody want this refrigerator or not? I, I'm going to call the Salvation Army and have them take it away. I said, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> And I went and got it, and we still have that refrigerator. And that was 13 years ago. I remember the Lord, we, we had some, we wanted two bar stools. Not that we drink, but, you know, for the bar, to eat breakfast and stuff. <clears throat> and I remember just praying and, and 
out of the clear blue. One day I w went out there and I realized people had been given us bar stools. We had said nothing to anybody. And at one point we had like eight bar stools. I only needed two. And, and that verse, you know, God will open up the windows of heaven and pour out more than you can contain. Now, I know why the Lord gave us extra, because my son Nathan, even as a baby before he could walk, he would knock them over, and he broke several of them. So we end up using most of those uh, bar stools. Again, I mean, I could go on and on and on, where I didn't have to spend money for it, but it was given to me. And uh, I was, when I first started pastoring down here 13 years ago, I had no suit, I had no clothes whatsoever and of uh you know to do weddings and stuff and and i remember the first week i started the pastor we were driving by a garage sale and this old gentleman had died exactly my size and i'll tell you killer close no pun intended no pun intended horrible horrible they were really sick no that doesn't work either. And I wore that, I bought the suit for a quarter. And until a year and a half ago, when my staff got together and bought me a suit, I had used that suit for 12 years. And people would often comment on it. I think it was like from the 50s. Because people would comment on it, and they'd say, that is such a cool suit. Yeah, I know, I love this suit, man. I <clears throat> Needed some shoes a couple years ago and, and went up in the attic and, and Greg Opine, our missionary, had tons of his stuff up there and, and he hadn't got to it for five years. And so I just went ahead and, and said, you know, limitations up. And uh, so I just went <laughs> ravaging through his boxes and found some incredible shoes. One pair I have on here tonight. And uh, love these shoes, very comfortable. My, my wife doesn't think they look very nice, but they're very comfortable. They looked nice five years ago when I stole them from Greg. But uh, of course I had his permission, wasn't really stealing. You know, you really don't have to be like the world in its view of money. God has given you plenty and anything you need, he will meet that need. Not your lustful, covetous, worldly, trying to keep up with the Joneses need, because that is not the heart of a Christian on this earth. It says in Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. Thank you, Lord, for what I do have. I need nothing else, and if I do, you'll meet it. There's such a joy in simplicity there's such a joy in not having to have to have the newest and the latest and the best and the most comfortable, you know. It, you don't need it. It's not good for you. And so God will add unto you those things that he desires to add unto you. So when it comes time to pay taxes, we don't want to say, man, this is such a bummer. Our government stinks, you know. And, you know, if they didn't you know, weren't spending money this way, and if they weren't doing this, and if they weren't living high on the hog, and if they weren't buying $200 hammers in the military, and you know, I wouldn't. Let it go. This is earth stuff. We're to be heavenly minded. Let's put our minds on the things above where Christ is seated. 
chuck the money towards the government and forget about it. Let's move on. We have heavenly things to worry about. Whatever you need, God's going to give it to you anyway. It's not like that tax money is going to make you or break you. No, God is adding unto me. And whatever I need added unto me, my Father in heaven will add it unto me. And if I gripe and complain, then I don't believe that really God is in the equation of my finances. I don't really believe God is in the equation of my life. If I have to grudgingly give my taxes, if I have to grudgingly give customs, if I have to grudgingly give the tithes or the offerings or whatever it is, again, if that is your heart, you have your own agenda. You don't have God's agenda. You got your money in your hand like a football and you're running, you know, with your arm out, you know, trying to make your own points. But that's not the way we're to be as believers. As believers, we're to say, God, you've got it all in control. And as I look to you, you will make it work. And so I don't have to try to strive like the world is striving to get ahead, to make it work, to do it. I can, I can trust the Lord and let God do it. And so if you will honor God with that tithe, the promise is there. Read Proverbs 3. God will open up the windows of heaven. Well, that's Malachi. Open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. But in Proverbs 3 it says, don't be wise in your own understanding. Don't, don't try to be clever. Don't have your own agenda. Honor the Lord with the first of your increase. He will cause your barn to be overflown. He'll cause your vats to overflow with new wine, your barns to be filled with plenty. God will do it. And I'll tell you, 90% of Christians don't believe that and are not doing that. Okay? Most Christians say, hey, I love that stuff about loving your neighbors yourself. I got it. Believe in that, man. I love the stuff about praying. Oh, man, I love that. I love the part about... Trust in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Boy, I like that, you know. I, I, but money, not an issue. We're not going to discuss that because I don't necessarily believe those verses. I don't think they apply today. All those other Old Testament promises, boy, you're grabbing onto them, but you're picking and choosing. And, and, and so again, I, I come back to saying, is it working? Is what you're doing working? If it's not working... Go back to the scriptures and do what the word of God says. Challenge it. The only time in the Bible where God says, test me in this, is concerning finances. Test me in this. And so we as the world, as First Thessalonians 4 said, we're to mind our own business, we're to live a quiet life, and we're just to work with our own hands and, and not, we're not to be stirring up dust in these earth-wise things. I don't, it doesn't, you know, the government's going to do what the government's going to do. I pray for the government. I'll vote, give honor to who honor is due. I'll vote for who I can vote for, when I can vote for him, when it's within my power. But I'm not going to lose sleep if I'm paying 10% taxes or 50% taxes or whatever it is. It doesn't matter. I'm going to eat. I'm going to, God's going to keep me warm. And then I'm going to die and go to be with the Lord. Whether I'm in a fancy house, whether I'm in a beat-up house, whether I'm in an apartment, whether my car is a nice car or whether it's a car that gets me from here to there, God is going to humble me. God is going to break me. 
God is going to bless me. As Paul said, I've been rich, I've been poor, I've experienced the gamut in all things. I had to learn to be content. Do you think rich people living in La Jolla are going, man, I got more money than I know what to do with? They're worried about money. I remember seeing an interview with um, Ofer Renfrey, who was at that point making over $40 million a year. And I think it was Barbara Walters or whoever said, what's the number one thing on your mind? Money. She says, I, I, I thought that once I made a lot of money, I could quit thinking about money. The more money I make, the more money I have to think about. And that was the biggest stress in her life. And again, they have these things where people win lotteries within a few years. They're in more debt than they were ever. Their family is totally torn apart. Gee, I wonder why that happened. It says that in 1 Timothy chapter 6. It says if you desire, desire to get rich, you pierce yourself through with many a sorrow and you drown yourself in many hurtful lusts. But you, O man of God, flee these things. The Bible said, with food and clothing, with these we should, or the word there is must, be content. You had some food today? Did everybody eat? If you're fasting, don't raise your hand. I don't want to take your glory away. But assuming you're not fasting, everybody got a shirt on their back? Pretty much. I think so. A few tattoos on there too, some of you guys. What else do we need? We're alive. And God is going to add to us what we need. Well, my kids, I, I want my kids to not be deprived like I was deprived. Pray about it. You know what? Your kids being deprived may be the best thing they need for their character. I don't, I don't care if my kids have things. All I want is when they are growing older, they're godly people, they're respectful people, they're humble people, they're leaders out in front of the pack not followers and following the crowd, but following Jesus Christ right at his hills. And if they didn't have a gun or didn't have the latest Nintendos or they didn't have the all of this, I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. I don't have this compulsion that says, but, but, all their friends have one and they don't. It's okay. It's perfectly fine with me. But, but they're not dressed as cool as everybody else. That's fine. That's what the clothes we have is what God's given us, and and that's perfectly fine with me. It doesn't really matter. If you look at some of the fashions too, you know what happened, don't you? Some poor kid who couldn't afford his own pants had to wear his big brother's pants. (laughs) This is what happened. (laughs) They hang, they hung down. You know. He couldn't keep him up, but he was cool. He was just a leader type of guy. And then the guy goes home, you know, who has the latest designer's jeans and says, Mom, you know, that guy Jimmy down at school, you know, he is so cool. And I want a pair of pants like him. And so he gets on the phone and says, hey, where did Jimmy get his pants? Oh, well, those were his older brother who went off to the army, you know. I bought them 15 years ago. And, and so and then she's down at the army surplus store somewhere trying to find some pants that were made 15 years earlier she's successful and then he has them and then they're the two coolest guys in school 
And then before you know it, somebody says, man, everybody's wanting this, so let's start making them. And then they start making these pants that are 25 times too big <laughs> that expose their boxer underwear. And what you could have bought at the surplus store for 50 cents now is going to cost you $85 at the gap. It's, it's stupid. It's really ridiculous. If your kid is cool, whatever they're wearing is going to be cool. And the Bible says if, you're, if you have mercy and truth about your neck, you will have favor in the eyes of God and man. It's character. If you have character, that's going to shine as a light and that's going to draw people unto your kids just like they were drawn unto Jesus. And so again, we got to come back and say, look, shake it off. Don't have those worldly attitudes and concepts. Give to Caesar what Caesar's. Give unto God what is God's. Pay customs to who's in custom. Fear to whom is fear. Honor to whom is honor. And don't think about it again. Press on. Let's not worry about it. Others are going to complain, well, I don't want to pay that much taxes. Fine. Go, you go complain about it. I'm too busy trying to study the word of God and trying to lead others to Christ and trying to raise my family in the admonition and the fear of God. I, I really am not going to waste my time with all these earth things. They're going to pass away. I'm going to put my mind on the things above where Christ is seated. And let me tell you something. You'll never have enough. If your focus is money and the power of money and what money can buy you, you will never have enough. If I could just make double what I'm making in a year, you'll be in the same debtedness or more debtedness than you are now. But, man, if I could just win the lottery, it will not satisfy. All that'll happen is you'll have a Mercedes that breaks down now, and you'll have to pay ten times the amount for the radiator hose. I mean, that's the only difference. And you'll have a house that instead of the $25 window that breaks when your kid throws a ball, now you've got a $300 window that's going to have to get fixed. It's all relative. And so, again, I, I say to you, if God makes you rich, then praise God. Live a rich life, but live it to the honor of God. As 1 Timothy 6 says, be willing to share, be willing to give, and store up a good foundation for the life to come. You have a gift of giving. You have that gift uh, that God's made you rich to, to be a witness to the rich people. That's great. There's nothing wrong if God, God makes the rich. But he also says for a rich man to get to heaven is like a camel getting through the eye of a needle. You, don't, you aren't as God-sufficient, but money can make you self-sufficient. So be careful. In the same way, if you're poor, the Bible says in, in James, God did that so you're rich in faith. So, you know, it's not one's good and one's bad. It's where God has you, the economy that God has you. Where does it get bad? It's where you cannot say, my focus is godliness, and whatever I have, I have. I'm content with it. Great. But God, oh man, I just, I want to pursue the Lord. That's really my heart. Whatever I got, it doesn't really matter. Whatever clothes I have or don't have, it's really besides the point. Whatever extra money or I don't have or do or vacations I can or can't. It's really insignificant. God has me in the palm of his hand. He is keeping me uh, exactly where he wants me to be. And you have to have that faith. And so if you're doing this, and again, the temptation is, I want more than I have, so what are people going to do? They're going to say, 
you know, five years tried to save up. I still don't have the money. I'll just go borrow it. The, the problem with that is, is number one, is I don't want it if God doesn't want me to have it. Even though it seems like the best thing in my mind, I know from past experiences that, that depression, where, man, if I just had that new stereo, man, you just lay there on your bed, you know, fantasizing the speakers and the wall shaking and, and all your friends coming over and sitting on your brother's bed and ticking him off and, 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 and you're there going, man, but your stomach roars with the bass, you know, and, and you just, this, this is going to be so incredibly wonderful. And then you get it and you put it in your room and, and you set it up and, well, it's okay. It's really not that great. And then two days later, your little brother comes in with his, you know, mouthful of Cheerios and reaches his hand up and, and fills up your cassette deck and and uh, <laughs> reaches in there with his, uh, you know, little Lego toys and sticks them in the CD. And, and, and then you're just going, oh, man, look at this. And mom's in there cleaning out going, it's okay, it's okay, it's fine, don't worry about it. That's life, isn't it? It's just a big bummer when it, if it's things that and, and then what happens five years later there it is at the garage sale you're hoping to get 75 cents and you're fighting over this guy to try to get 35 cents you know and 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 off it goes and you remember that i mean that day yet that new couch came in you're just like whoa the truck came and all everybody's looking at the couch wanting to sit on it and feeling the cushion and then it's like Vapor later, you're hauling the thing out. One leg's broke, and there's a big sag, and spring scratches the guy's leg as it's going out, you know. And <laughs> but the problem is, the, the problem is this, is that you just finished paying it off. <laughs> that That $500 couch that after the 21% interest ended up costing you $15,000 but I had it the day I wanted it, you see. It, it, it's so ridiculous. I, I'll tell you, I've had so many people come up to me and say, I've got this car that's broken down and I've got a $300 payment on it and I can't afford to get it fixed because i got to make the payment. But I don't feel right about having them repossess it because, you know, it doesn't seem like it would be a good witness. You're right. It would be a horrible witness. <laughs> but I, it's so hard. i got another two years i got to pay, and, and they want $1,500 to fix it, and I, I, I can't do both. And I, I know. Welcome to America. <laughs> That's our American dream. We buy things that we don't really need, but we want, and we think it's a need because we want it so bad. We buy things that we don't really need, with money we don't have to impress people we really don't like. <laughs> that's, that's America. And so what a lot of you, what a lot of you need to do is to have plastic surgery, <laughs> Visa, and MasterCard, and get the scissors out and do your own personal plastic surgery. The Bible says here, owe no man anything. 
Now, people in America are quick to jump in and say, but, 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 but. I just say, no buts. Oh, no man, anything. That's the best thing you can do. Period. We're in a wicked generation. And because of our wicked generation, now it's very difficult for a household to make it on one income. They estimated this year that there will be 40% of the people will not be able to find a preschool to put their kids into. And so the government's putting these giant warehouse buildings that can literally have thousands of preschool kids. They've already got one up in, by San Francisco, and they built another one um, up by Sacramento. And they're just these massive preschool complexes. And of course, what are they teaching? That same ungodly agenda that's going in the public school, but now they're getting them when they're two years old. It's a pretty horrible scene. Can you get around it? I, I don't know if you can get around it. To be honest with you, I, 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 we're in a very wicked generation. And because of that, it rains on the good and the evil. And so I say, be it unto you according to your faith, and also be it according to your situation. Um, you know, if you got little tiny kids at home that aren't at school, in my mind, it's, just, it's a horrible thing to put them in a preschool. Why do you have a preschool, Brian? Because we want to get those kids. Because we know they're going to be probably somewhere else where they're not going to be cared for from somebody like their own parent. And we want to love them like their own parent would love them. Is it good? Is it bad? It's definitely not the best thing. But in many situations, they're not going to get around it. And there's a lot of gals, too, that would prefer to work. You know, they're not at home having to milk the cows and pluck the chicken and, and uh, you know, all it is is a 20-minute stint to the grocery store where it used to take women all day, you know, go take the bucket down to the old well and, you know, get the water and bring it up to the house and it's not that way anymore. And so for a lot of women to stay home these days, it would be spiritually bad for them because they would be busybodies. Like the Bible says, don't be busybodies. And uh, they have too much time on their hands and it's actually not a good thing. So working could actually be a more healthy thing than a woman staying at home if the kids are gone. If the kids are there, I think it's a great thing for the, especially the mom to be there. But again, you, you start getting into these issues, but well, hold it, Brian. Well, what about being a good steward? Yeah, it, it does play a factor. I, I knew a pastor up north here that were running out of church, or running out of school for um, 14000 a month to have their church there. But yet he could buy property and get a loan to build a building and his payment would be 12000 a month. Less than what it would be to lease. And so it was sort of a no-brainer in that the school was charging him so much they really didn't want him there. And so they borrowed in it and it seemed to do to be a, a wise thing to do because it was actually going to cost them less to buy than it was for them to rent. And that's the case sometimes with buying homes. The best scenario is not to owe anybody anything. Absolutely. But again, when you're buying a building or you're buying a house, you really are ahead of the game 99% of the time because you will always be able to sell that property for more than you owe on it. Now, we know from those who have been here around to see the market crash a couple of times 
I, I knew some people over in the neighborhood I, I lived, and they bought at the top of the market where the, the condos they bought for 145000 and a month later, they were worth 115000 The market just fell completely out in that area. And so um, a lot of them were stuck. So that does that, that kind of thing. So it's not a guaranteed thing. But again, when you're going to buy something that definitely is going to depreciate the moment you buy it, you go buy a brand new car and you drive it off the lot, it loses $3,000 in value. I've, I've never bought a new car and probably never will just because you just lose all of that depreciation right away. And so again, in owing somebody in that situation, it seems a very foolish thing because if you had to turn around and sell that car the next day, you're still going to owe $3,000 and not have the car. Or again, when you, you go to buy clothes or go to buy things on the charge card, you've already spent it, but now you've got, now you owe it. What a lot of people do, and you know, something I'd encourage you guys to do, we have a financial management class that Steve and Carol Kinney teach, and we have it going, it's um, eight weeks, nine weeks, going through uh, Larry Perquette's book on how to finance your money, how to invest your money, how, uh, God look, how God wants you to look at your money, as well as how wisely to be good stewards. But um, really encourage you to take that class. But again, one of the principles they teach is that if you put something on your charge card, then you just go to your checking account and you right then minus that exact money out. So when you look at the balance of your checking, you don't say, oh man, I got $500 in there, when you just put $400 on your credit card. Go ahead and just say that $400 is gone. That way when the bill comes around, then you don't have to pay interest on the credit card because you've got that uh, 25 to 30 days leniency and then you can write that amount. But what happens so often to people is they, well, I have $500 and then they're charging and then when the bill comes, you see, now they don't have the money so they can only make a partial payment to their credit card and now they're paying 23% interest. And so now the next month you're throwing away, but, but you don't understand. It was a 20% off sale. You don't understand. You just paid 10% more than the 20%. You could have bought it at full price and given the guy a 10% tip. That's, that's where the bad stewardship comes in. So again, well, I saved it all on the sale. No, you lost it all on paying the gigantic interest on the credit card. And so again, that's where you have to come back and, and to realize, no, this, this is not right. You didn't wait upon the Lord. You know, one of the best things about being able to buy something is where you've had to struggle to save. And then you go and you pay cash for it. And there is you're buying cash for it. There's, there, there is a special blessing, I think, from the Lord on having something and you own it outright. Again, if I were to ask a show of hands, how many people own or owe on cars or owe on all these things, it's part of the American curse. But unfortunately, what happens are people are spending more than they're making and they're in bondage. And this is exactly what the Bible teaches us. In Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7, it says the borrower, in Proverbs 22, verse 7, it says the borrower is a slave or a servant to the lender. Okay, you are in bondage to your visa. 
You are in bondage to the guy who you, again, owe the money to the car or whatever. Again, with things that appreciate, like a house, which is a good investment in most cases. It's like putting money in a good investment. So, one, you get the tax break. Number two, you um, are going to rent anyway. And number three, it's a good investment in that the, as the house grows in value, so your money is also growing in value. And so it's able to hang on to the value of the dollar if you're in the right location. The three things you remember in uh, real estate, three most important things are what? Location, location, location. And uh, if you've got a dumpy house in a good location, it's worth a lot more money than a nice house in a bad location uh, in the process of time. And uh, that's, that's, again, so when you're looking at owing for a house, you really want to take a look at that. And so, again, we, we need to realize, what is God's best? God's design is this. Turn to Deuteronomy 15, verse 6, and Deuteronomy 28, and we'll take a look at those verses. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 6, Deuteronomy 15.6, it says this, For the Lord your God will bless you just as He promised you. You shall lend to many nations or many peoples or Gentiles other than the, other than the Jews, but you shall not borrow. You shall reign over many nations or peoples, but they shall not reign over you. Again, the borrower is a servant to the lender. And then look over at Deuteronomy chapter 28. There he gives a list of all the blessings as you diligently obey the Lord. And in verse 12, he says this, The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens to give the rain to in your land in a season to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations or peoples, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. If you... Heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and are careful to observe them. And so I think a lot of people are the tail and not the head because of covetousness. I see that shirt. I just got to have it. I got to have it. Oh, I can't go there without a brand new dress. When you've got 20 of them in the closet that you hate all. You hate all of them. It's, it's again, it's our flesh. And what God is doing in those situations, He's trying to break us. So let Him do it. Let Him break you. Don't fight it. But you don't know how wonderful my life would be if I had that new chair. But the fact of the matter is, is you will breathe. You will eat. You can still walk without the chair. You will survive if you don't have that chair. You will not die. But no, I, I just, man, I can just see myself now and I just, my Bible in my lap. You don't know how much closer I can get to God if I have that chair. <laughs> the fact of the matter is you don't have the money for it. The cash is not in hand. Don't buy it. 
That's covetousness. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And as you are broken before your Heavenly Father, saying, Father, I, I really like that chair. I'd really want that chair. And then you have the opportunity for God to work with you in your heart. And not only that, but if you are tithing, you are giving offerings, God is get, now has that reign, you see, to be able to open up and to do those things that he would like to do and to bless you. And often, there's a chair you don't even know about that you would even like better. And God will do above and beyond what you could ever ask or think. And so again, it, it comes back to that American covetousness, that lifestyle that we've all been accustomed and growing. Don't wait. Do it now. The Bible says wait. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, but I say wait. And learn to pray in these different things that you desire and want. There's nothing wrong with desiring things, but take it before the Lord and make sure it's not covetous. If you've got to have it now, what is it? It's always covetous. You see that with Ammon. He couldn't eat, he couldn't sleep, and he's laying there going, oh man. And, and, and there his cousin comes in and says, what's wrong? He goes, oh, I am in love with Tamar. I just love her. Hey, you're the king's son. You want her, just go get her. Just tell her to come in that you're sick and you want her to bake some bread for you. And as she is coming in there and she's baking bread, then do whatever you want with her. And so, sure enough, he's the king's kind of son. It works. And, and she comes in and she's baking bread and, and she hands him the bread and he grabs her and she goes, no, don't do this. Oh, but I love you, you know. And, and there he forces himself sexually upon her. And then soon as he's done with the sex, it says he couldn't stand to look at her. And he said, get out of my presence. And it says the love in which he loved her was not as great as the hate as which he hated her. Within a second. And see, lust says, I've got to have it now. I can't wait. And if that's going on, you are always going to be in debt, whether it's money or whether it's bad, foolish decisions in life, you're going to be in debt. It's interesting that the Bible has a number of negative stories on people who are in debt. Look at one, if you would. We won't turn there tonight because of time. But in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1 through 7, it's a woman whose husband died, and they had all of this debt after he died. I say to you, gentlemen, don't have a debt that your wife has to worry about. I've been through it with ladies before, where I've had to see them struggle through life with a debt after their husband's gone, you know. She didn't really like TV, but now this big giant screen TV she's got to pay for, her, you know. And all of this ridiculous stuff. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that to your family. And anyway, there, Elijah uh, supernaturally bailed her out of that. Elisha did. Then there's another negative story in Nehemiah 5, in verse 1 through 13, where they're trying to build the wall, and they're trying to do what God wants them to do, but they owe all of these giant mortgages on their farms. And so while they're building the wall, people are coming and buying their kids or taking their kids away because they couldn't make their mortgage payment, so they take their kids away as slaves. And there the people are mourning, and Nehemiah goes, what's going on, you know? And, well, so-and-so took my uh, son to be a slave because I couldn't pay him the money I owed him. And these are brothers. The one guy's working on the wall over there. The other guy's working on the wall over here. And the one guy's getting rich. <laughs> no, well, come on, work over here. You're my slave now. Help me build my portion of the wall. And Nehemiah just freaks. 
And he just tells everybody to give everything back and until the wall's built, nobody owes anything in that situation. But it almost stopped the will of God. It almost stopped the building of the wall because of that. But Nehemiah and his leadership was able to thwart it. In Matthew chapter, um, or excuse me, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus talks about a person forgiving and he says a guy who owes his master lots of money, but then this other guy owes him and, and he can't pay the debt. And the master says, take him and his whole family and put them into bondage. Let me tell you, when you're charging those cards, who ends up in bondage? You? No, your whole family ends up in bondage. And there again, the, the master forgave the man. He had compassion upon him. And then he goes out and grabs another guy, says, pay me the money you owe me, and starts choking him. And he didn't have compassion on him. Again, all of these negative things that happen because of that. Is borrowing going to exist? Always. Jesus made note of that. In Matthew 25, when he gives the guys five talents, another guy three talents, another guy one talent, he goes, the guy with one talent said, but I, I feared you because I know that you're a man who you know, reaps even where he doesn't plant. And you're a man who always seems to make money no matter what you do. And, and I was afraid with that one talent. And, and so I just buried it. And now here's your one talent back. And he said, you wicked servant. You should have at least put it in the bank and got interest on it. So there the Lord, he's not necessarily approving, but he's saying they exist and, and you could, should have taken advantage of the fact that they do exist. At least then I could have got the interest back on it. What is the very best? To owe no man anything but to love him. How is that most likely going to happen? It will not happen unless your heart is focused on God. If God is number one, then you'll be able to resist that temptation of covetousness that goes on in our world. But if you make that your God, oh, I'm going to get out of debt, that's my God, getting out of debt, that can become your God. Don't, don't, don't let the pen, pendulum swing. My, my God is to you know, pay my visa off. My God is to, you know, no, that's not the way it works. Just like when we come to God, we don't clean up our lives and then go to God and say, okay, I dealt with all these sins. Now will you save me and forgive whatever little sins are left over? No, we just come to God as we are. And we just say, God, here I am. The, my life is a total mess. Help me. And as we fall on our face before God, God begins to clean up all those messes in our life. In the same way, if you're in debt here tonight, just take the whole thing and put it at the feet of the Lord and say, God, I know I've got myself in this situation because of my foolishness, because of my covetousness, because I really thought I had a need when it was a want. And instead of waiting on you and seeking you to get the money to buy that or to fix that or to go there, I just went ahead and, and you know, the carrot was dangling and I ran after it, you know, and now I'm stuck. And then now go to the scriptures. Do what the Bible says concerning money. Number one, start tithing. Two, give of offerings. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You know somebody else that's in debt, and you're in debt, but you would wish somebody would come and give you 50 bucks to help you out. Go give 50 bucks to them, but I don't have it. No, you don't understand. As you give, the Bible says, he who lends to the poor lends to God. As you give unto God, God will give unto you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Now, I'm not saying you foolishly do that. Let the Lord lead you. 
But I'm saying, get your eyes off of you, yourself, and all your wants and needs and hardships and difficulties. Take that to the side and get your focus upon the Lord and start doing things according to the Scripture. Start living the lifestyle that God would have you to live. And you'll start seeing God start working these things out. And it will bring joy and it will bring gladness. It will deepen your faith. And it will blow your mind how God will have a plan to work your finances out. How does it work? I don't know how it works. I cannot explain to you how you can give and end up with more. But that's exactly what happens because God is in the equation. And this is how the Bible tells us to live. You seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and he will add unto you. Haggai chapter 1, we looked at it this last Sunday. If you're not honoring the Lord, whatever you bring, he's going to blow it away. Whatever you gather, he's going to put a hole in your money bag and it's going to drain out. God loves you too much to let you be successful without him. Because he only works in the equation. You see, it's like we're a car without an engine. So we have this big, giant, beautiful car. It won't work until God is there. God's the engine. And I don't care how sleek everything looks. I don't care how good your tires are. You're not going to go anywhere until there's an engine. When you put God first in your life and you add him into that equation, now you'll start moving forward. But I'll tell you, if you've been in financial debt and you're trying to lean on your own understanding, you're trying to work it out on your own, what you'll discover is the harder you try, the worse it gets. If you've ever noticed that. The harder you try to get out of debt on your own strength and your own ability, the worse it gets. Because God is trying to get your attention. God is trying to wake you up. And he's using your financial indebtedness to wake you up spiritually to a number of other things that are out of balance and not right proportions and not a right place. You're spending too much money, but you're also probably spending too much time in a place you shouldn't be spending too much time. You're also being lazy in other areas of your life. You're also not being in right priorities in other areas. Normally people that are in debt, you'll also find they're not spending time with their kids. They're spending too much time in front of the TV. They eat too much. They're not, you, you'll, you'll find it's a whole smidred of things across the board. It's not this one, everything's perfect in my life, but this one isolated thing. Usually the marriage isn't too great, the relationship with the kids isn't too great, things aren't going so great at work, on and on across. Because there's, you're, God is not first in your life, and so everything is sort of, you know, like the, the, thing, the little uh, top that's spinning. Everything is starting to wobble, you see. It's not just that one thing. So let God get your attention with your money and say, okay, God, you show me how to run my life. And let the Lord lay it out. Oh, no man anything except to love him. You are in debt to love everybody. And we will talk about that next week. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we do ask in Jesus' name that you would indeed help us, Lord, to not be earth-minded, but truly to be heavenly-minded. It doesn't matter. Give... Caesar to what is Caesar's, give God's what is God's, and, and let's just move on. Putting our life in order the way you would have us to put our life in order. And Lord, there's so many scriptures on money and on tithing and on giving and on indebtedness and on borrowing and all of these issues. So much in scriptures about it. And Lord, we know you're speaking to us. We know your perfect will in a perfect world 
is that we would know owe men anything. But yet, there's certain people that owe money on their businesses, and, and it seems to be a wise thing because they're able to make money and, and, and these type of things. Lord, you, you alone know. We can't. We thank you there's no legalistic law here to put us in bondage, but there is clear principles to set us free. And we do ask that you'd give us wisdom as we meditate on these things, as we think on these things, and that you would really guide us as we really put our hearts to seek you first in your kingdom and your righteousness. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you.